Good morning, Deep Run. Today we're reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. So, these words, these famous words, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. These words are told to us just after what we looked at last week when Jesus said, you cannot serve God in money. And the word for money can be taken more broadly, uh, mammon. It can be all material wealth and possessions. So Jesus, we discovered last week, when we looked at that passage, you, you, you can't serve God and money. You, you can only serve one master. Uh, we learned that what we most focus on is what we're really devoted to. What we most focus on is what we're most devoted to. And Jesus now says after that, therefore, I tell you. Uh, therefore, another way of translating that from the original language is because of this. Because of this, I tell you, do not be anxious. Because of what? Because of what he just said. Because you cannot serve both God and material wealth. Because of that, he says, do not be anxious. And he says, don't be anxious three times in this passage that we're going to look at today. You see, one way that you can devote yourself to the wrong things is by worrying about them. Martha worried about the dinner arrangements so that she could not focus on the Lord Jesus who was in her house. Peter worried about the waves and began to drown. Now, what are we worried about? According to a Gallup poll taken not quite two years ago, 45%, right, so almost half of Americans said that they felt worried a lot. Almost half of Americans, this is before the pandemic, said that they were worried a lot. You know, I was raised in um, 
I was raised in a community where m- most people were either second or third or fourth generation Italian or Jewish Americans. So, so you, you can imagine, we worried about everything. And, and I'm, I'm still recovering from it today. Uh, people are worrying now about the virus and, and the impact of the virus, even the potential impact of the virus. We're worried about jobs and work. Uh, we're worried about the economy. People are worried about school and education. People are worried about just simple shopping. When you put a mask on and go into a supermarket, you're filled with anxiety now, aren't you? Anxiety is a psychological problem that creates physical problems as well. According to scientists and uh, medical doctors, and actually I saw this uh, in an online article published by Harvard Medical School saying that anxiety prepares us to confront a crisis by putting the body on alert. So there's this good chemical and physiological thing going on in your body, the fight or flight response, uh, which is so important in dealing with a crisis, dealing with danger. But listen, the article continues, but, it's, but anxiety's physical effects can be counterproductive. And when anxiety persists, it can take a toll on our mental and physical health. And you know this is true. When you struggle with worry, with anxiety, it affects your digestion or lack of digestion, right? Uh, Anxiety affects your breathing. It affects your muscles. Anxiety affects your ability to concentrate. Anxiety, worrying affects your ability to sleep, right? Worrying is at least a distracting annoyance, but worrying can become a most paralyzing obstacle, right? But your devotion to God, your devotion to your Heavenly Father will liberate you from the power of worrying. Your devotion to God liberates you from the power of anxiety. And today I want to talk about pursuing what you're worried about. And when I say pursuing your worries, I mean focusing, focusing on your worries. Pursuing your worries, pursuing your blessings, and pursuing your Father in heaven. Pursuing, focusing on what you're worried about, focusing on how God has blessed you, and focusing on God himself. So, The pursuit of our worries is actually contrary to Jesus's vision for his disciples. He says in verse 25, Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? And what scholars believe Jesus is doing there with that question is, it's it's a greater to, it's called a greater to lesser argument. Greater to lesser argument. It goes something like this. If God has given us the greater things, then he will provide for us the lesser things. If he is able and willing to give us the greater things, then he is able and willing to provide for us the lesser things. If God has given you the gift of life, will he not provide the food and drink necessary to sustain your life? If God has created your amazing, beautiful body, 
will he also not provide clothing and protection for that body? This is what Jesus is saying. And he supports this argument with two illustrations from the natural world, birds and flowers. In verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. And he goes on to show us how God feeds the birds. But have you noticed how hard birds work to get their food? Right? So, so you can't use this passage as some excuse for being lazy or inaction. You can't use it as an excuse for inaction. One scholar puts it this way, what is prohibited here is worry, not work. You're supposed to work very hard like the birds do. But ultimately, God still provides the food that the birds work to get. And that's the way it should be for us. Uh, He then says in verse 28, consider the lilies of the field. And not particularly lilies as a species, but um, wildflowers. That's really what the word meant. Consider the wildflowers. And he says, he says, look at how God clothes, arrays, adorns even the flowers of the field. Now think about it. When you look at when you're out in nature, when you're out enjoying creation, and you see wildflowers in their simplistic beauty, it's pretty remarkable that. Nobody planted those wildflowers. Nobody nobody gave thought for them. And yet, God's forethought created that simple beauty. So how much more will God's forethought account for the basic needs of your life? And so now Jesus responds to this argument. and Well, he responds to our doubts that God will provide for our basic needs. He responds to our doubts um, with this very gentle yet piercing statement in verse 30. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. The preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones remarked that Jesus is here uh, connecting weak faith, right? A lack of faith. He's connecting it back to, listen to this, illogical thinking. Weak faith is the result of a failure to reason. Your anxiety, Jesus is saying, shows that you haven't been thinking logically. Your continual worrying is the result of illogical thinking about the character of God and the promises of God. Now, if, if you're not a Christian, if If you're a doubter or a skeptic, if you're not a believer and you're listening in with us today, I'm so glad that you've joined us. I I hope you can see today that, that faith from a Christian perspective, from the Bible's perspective, faith doesn't mean that you abandon reason. Christian faith, biblical faith, is not blind belief or uh, believing in something when common sense tells you not to. Uh, the, The 1950s movie, Christmas movie, Miracle on 34th Street, which I really enjoy watching, uh, has a a description of faith that is a terrible description of faith. Uh, Believing in something when common sense tells you not to is not biblical faith at all. Biblical faith engages your common sense. Biblical faith encourages you to think logically. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, it is God himself who gave us life and the body in which we live it. And if he has done that, we can draw this deduction. 
that his purpose with respect to us will be fulfilled. There is a plan for every life in the mind of God. We must never regard our lives in this world as accidental. One example in the Bible of this deductive faith is Abraham when he was preparing to sacrifice his his son, his son of the promise, Isaac. Beyond all belief and comprehension, Abraham obeys the Lord and begins to prepare for the sacrifice. But Abraham was exercising deductive faith. Think about it. Abraham remembered God's promise to bless the entire world through his heir, Isaac. Abraham had seen his wife, Sarah, conceive and give birth to Isaac at a very old age. And so, like the author of Hebrews wrote, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, Abraham considered that God was able, God was able to raise his son Isaac from the dead. Abraham considered, now the word there, the original Greek word there is logizomai. It, it's where we get the word logic from. It's related to our word for logic, right? So Abraham was thinking when he considered that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. So Abraham, when he was preparing, when he was obeying God, Abraham was not exercising blind, stupid faith. Abraham was reasoning based upon the nature and the promises of God. He was using reason based upon God's nature and promises. So Jesus is showing us here that our worry, that our anxiety is illogical in contrast to God's fatherly care. But Jesus does more than simply tell us what not to do. That's what's so great about a good teacher. He doesn't just tell us what not to do. He redirects our focus upward. You have to replace your pursuit of worrying and anxiety with your pursuit of the blessings of God. You have to redirect your focus away from what you're worried about towards the promises and blessings and priorities of God. And so in verse 33, Jesus says most famously, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Okay, so these things that we're worrying about Many of them really are important because we see right here that God plans on providing them anyway. So they are important, but they're not most important. That's the thing. That's where the refocus needs to happen. They are important, and God knows they're important, but they're not most important. So what is most important? Well, Jesus has said, seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. What what does God's kingdom and righteousness have to, what's it all about? It's what the entire Sermon on the Mount is about. You go right back to the beginning in Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes open up the Sermon on the Mount. And the Beatitudes show us Jesus' vision for what is most important. And what's most important, Jesus told us in the Beatitudes, is possessing a spiritual poverty. Knowing that apart from God, you have nothing of lasting value, that you desperately need Him to sustain you. The kingdom of God is about the blessedness of mourning, mourning your own sin and brokenness, mourning the brokenness that is in the world in which we live. The kingdom of God is about being meek, 
being somebody who lives in humility before God. The kingdom of God is about being merciful, just as God has been merciful to you. The kingdom of God is about having a pure heart, pursuing Him and His kingdom more than anything else. The kingdom of God, we discover, is about being people of peace in our relationships. These are the things that the kingdom of God and His righteousness are about. And Jesus sums them all up with one of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You see, this wholehearted focus releases you from the power of worry. Paul actually applied it in a very helpful way in his letter to the Philippians. Now, when I read this passage from Philippians chapter 4, think about this. Paul was writing this from prison. He was under house arrest in Rome. So as a prisoner, Paul writes these amazing words. He says to his friends in the the church in Philippi, do not be anxious about anything. This is a prisoner speaking. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let Let me circle back for a second. He says, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And he went, he goes on to say how to do that. How, 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 how do you refrain from being anxious and show gratitude and thankfulness? He goes, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. There's the refocus. Think about these things. And he goes on to say, practice these things. Right? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Think about these things. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So according to the Apostle Paul, who gives us a very practical way of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the antidote to anxiety is gratitude. The antidote to worrying is thankfulness, a thankful heart for the blessings of God in your life and in the world. We don't have time to get into all the practical ways of applying this, but I'll, give you, I'll just give you one simple one. I can, uh, personally in my own life, uh, I am tempted to and I can worry and worry about getting cancer again, (laughs) yet again. (laughs) Um, And and I can worry and worry that the next time I get cancer, it's going to be the big one. It's going to (laughs) be the cancer of all cancers that brings everything to a halt. Uh, I can worry about that continually. Uh, However, I have disciplined myself by the grace of God to, in those moments, learn to be thankful. So instead of worrying about getting cancer again or getting the big one, I can begin thanking God that instead of simply having more cancer, I've been given more years. I'm still here. I have more years to serve God and do His will. I have more years to be with my family and watch my kids grow up. 
I have, I have more years to enjoy my marriage with Becky and to enjoy all of you. So instead of worrying about more cancer, I can thank God at the same time for more time, for more blessings to be a part of what he's doing in this world, to be a part of what he's doing with all of you. And I can tell you that that discipline, because it's a discipline, uh, it's like learning how to exercise. That discipline brings peace. And sure enough, the prophet Isaiah said, in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So whatever, what overpowers the power of worry is a thankful heart focused on God's blessings, focused on God's priorities, not yours. So my, my encouragement to you, my challenge to you today is don't pursue your anxieties. These are important issues that God knows about, uh, and, and if they're good things, he's going to provide them for you. So don't pursue worrying about them. Pursue his benefits. Pursue God's blessings for his blessed ones. Those who are truly flourishing in this world, they pursue the blessings and promises of God that overpower the compulsion to worry and be anxious. You know, beneath your anxiety is idolatry. Beneath our incessant worrying is idolatry, is our devotion to false gods. Jesus says in conclusion in verse 34, uh, when you think he's done, he says, therefore, do not be anxious. This is the third time he says it. But listen to this. There's a twist. He says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Wow, so Jesus keeps digging. He digs even deeper to reveal that you're really anxious about what you can't control. You worry about what you cannot reach. You worry about what you cannot see. And Solomon's response to that in Psalm 127 was this. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Wow. He gives to his beloved sleep. Do you see this? Instead of, instead of God's peace sustaining you, what's sustaining you? Your anxiety is. What does he say? Eating the bread of anxious toil? Okay, so, so we end up exchanging the peace of God for anxiety. Instead of God's peace sustaining you, what's driving you, what's motivating you is that you're afraid. And so some of the best things you've ever done, some of, some of humanity's greatest achievements are because we're afraid. Sometimes you look the best and you achieve the most, not because you're at peace, not because you're trying to enjoy God and honor Him and bless and serve others. Sometimes you do your best and you look your best. Why? Because you can't control the future and it is beyond your reach and it is beyond your foresight. 
And so your anxiety is what motivates you, not the peace of God. How insightful Jesus was. So this is what we learn, that faith, exercising faith about the future, offers you peace now. Having faith in God's ability to take care of you tomorrow gives you peace today. But we've also discovered that that anxiety about tomorrow, worrying about the future, brings stress now. Faith for the future gives you peace now. Worrying about the future gives you stress now. Now please understand me. Our innate fight-or-flight response is a good God-given thing to help us in crisis. But you know what? Not every issue, not every problem, and not every disagreement is a crisis. At times, counseling and therapy are appropriate and helpful. At times, medicating severe anxiety can be very helpful. But at the heart of your anxiety is you wrestling with what you can't control. And the more you focus on what you cannot control, the larger it becomes in your sight, the larger it becomes in your life until it rules you, until it becomes a false god. Beneath our anxiety is idolatry. And so you must pursue, you must seek a greater power. And the God of the Bible says, yet again, let it be me. Let it be me who you seek. Let it be me who you focus on greater than your worries and your cares. On that dark night before Jesus was executed on a Roman cross, on that night, In the Garden of Gethsemane, anxiety would harass Jesus until it poured like blood from his pores. Jesus knew in the most profound way, in a deeper way, the anxiety and worry that you and I feel. The anxiety that cripples us overwhelmed Jesus the night before he died. But in that great stress, he pursued a greater power. He pursued in prayer and meditation his heavenly Father who kept him focused on his mission. And in that moment, actually right before that moment, the Last Supper, with his disciples and friends, Jesus who became spiritually poor for us, gave us what is more what is more incalculably valuable than food and drink and clothing in that moment of great cosmic poverty Jesus the son of god gave us his peace he said in the upper room during the passover meal recorded in john chapter 14 peace i leave with you think about a loved one or a close friend when they go on a trip or, or, where, or when they move away and, and, and they say to you, hey, before I leave, I, 
I just wanted you to have this. You know, and they give you something, a memento, a gift. They give you something very personal and very precious uh, that you treasure. And on that night, Jesus, before leaving his friends, going to his death, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, at his most impoverished and destitute, Jesus gave you an inestimably valuable gift. The man who had no home, who had no family, who didn't write a single thing before he left this world. The man who had no place to lay his head gave you an inestimably valuable gift, his peace. And so Jesus, who gave you that in his poverty, how much more now will the risen Jesus, will the Jesus who sits enthroned at the right hand of God, how much more will Jesus provide for you now than he did when he was poor? You see how we have to start thinking logically about all of this? And so Romans 8.32 tells us, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When are you going to trust him? When are you going to do more than just believe in Jesus? When are you going to believe in Jesus, when are you going to trust him? Oh, you of little faith, he tells us. When are you going to get beyond just the simple, the, the simple elements of Christian belief and the good news of the gospel and the, the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus? When are you going to actually believe him when he says, my peace I give to you? When are you going to trust him? Uh, wh when are you going to trust him for, for not only what he did for you 2,000 years ago on the cross and rising up and coming out of the tomb? When are you going to trust him right now? When are you going to trust him for today? When are you going to trust him for tomorrow? When are you going to trust him with your work, with your job? When are you going to trust him with your health and with the health and the safety of your loved ones? When are you going to trust him with your safety? When are you going to trust him with your conflicts? When are you going to trust him with your reputation? When are you going to trust him with your self-worth? You see, if you pursue him, if you pursue his kingdom, if you pursue his righteousness, if you pursue his peace, more than all of these other things, which he already said you know, he knows you need and he's going to provide for them, then you won't fall apart when all of these things waver. You won't crumble when they crumble. Your devotion to God, your devotion to Jesus liberates you from the power of worry. Our Heavenly Father desires that you trust Him with your basic needs while putting your greater emotional and mental energy towards pursuing him, towards pursuing his priorities. He's saying to you, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Jesus is saying to you, I've got this, I've got this. I reconciled you 
to your heavenly Father by canceling all of the debts of your sin once and for all. And I rose from the dead. I overcome this world. Believe me, the things you're worried about, I've got it. I've got it. Oh, you of little faith, trust me. Expend your greater energy, your greater emotions, your greater forethought on pursuing me and my kingdom and my priorities. I'll take care of the rest. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that we are those of little faith, not, not absent faith, but, but weak faith. Uh, we believe, uh, and yet we struggle. Uh, we, we believe the basics, but, but we struggle to trust you today. We struggle to trust you with tomorrow. We are consumed with our worries and anxieties. Uh, Father, I know that some people listening in right now feel that they are crippled by anxiety, feel that they cannot get up in the morning, feel like they cannot make good decisions, feel that they cannot face people. Father, I ask that you would give to them the gift of your peace, the peace that surpasses our understanding. And Father, would you enable them to see you clearly, to see your precious promises, to see your beautiful, just, and compassionate character, not as a villain, not as a taskmaster, not as a dope, but, but as a gracious father who loves us and knows what we need and is able and powerful and willing to provide. So Father, we, we, confess, uh, we confess like that one person in the Gospels, we believe, but help our unbelief. In the name of Jesus, be our peace and deliver us from our anxieties. Amen.